0: Well, this week we end, today we end this series on Joy Found. Next week, we start a brand new series. We're going to launch it at the event center. And for seven weeks, we're going to look at this subject of what is the definition of Christian? What does a Christian look like? Because when you look at society, you find that that has such a broad meaning. It means so many different things to so many different people. Fact is, this week, you could do homework and you could start asking people that you work with and maybe in your home and and say, hey, by the way, what is a Christian? Try to define that out. It's interesting when you begin listening to that because people justify all kinds of things and they still call themselves follower. Christ, or they still call themselves believers. And so on the day, the holiday, when most Christians gather together, I think it'd be great to try to define out, and then for the next seven weeks after that, to look at what does it mean to be a Christian, and what does that look like? So today... We're finishing up this series on joy found, and we've been walking through the beatitudes that we can find joy in life that is not tied to circumstances or situations or anything like that. I remember uh, when we were living in Houston, Texas, I was working for an engineering company at the time. Brittany was in the first grade, and, and I decided that I wanted to teach her to fish, and I wanted her to have the love of fishing that I had. And so, uh, so I got her, and I said, you know what, Brittany, I'm taking you fishing. It was a Saturday. I said, and so I took her to a catfish farm. Now, you may not know what that is, but we have those things in Texas. And so it's just a place where you go, and they've got a lot of different tanks. Or you guys, that's what we call them in Texas, but you would call them like a pond or a, or a little lake. And they've got all these tanks, and they stock them with blue cats or channel cats, which are just really great eating if you like catfish. And so you kind of pay for all that you catch. And so I got her stuff together. I got her in the car. We yelled at, at Karen and says, you know, get the grease hot because we are coming back and we're going to sacrifice some fish today. And so we got in the car. We went over to the catfish farm because here's the deal. I wanted her first experience with fishing to be good, right? I wanted her to actually get to catch a fish, experience that, to hopefully develop a love for her of fishing. And so, uh, so I took her there. Amazing deal. I mean, it, it, it was total. It, it, was just, it really wasn't fishing. It was catching. There's a difference, right? I mean, sometimes you go fishing, and sometimes you go catching. Fishing's when you catch absolutely nothing, and catching is when you actually catch fish. And so, so we went there, and it's like as soon as she put her line in the water, she had a fish. And now that I know I'm paying by the pound. And so, how do you tell a little girl that's catching fish that's enough? (laughs) So, I'm like adding it up, and it's getting really expensive. I knew, I know this is, man, this is going to cost us, but it's going to be the experience. And so, she caught fish after fish, one more, one more, one more. So, finally, that's it. We're done. And so, we gathered up our fish. She wanted to go show our grandparents. We showed our grandparents. We go home and we sacrifice them, we fry them, and had that whole deal. And so, she loved fishing and so she kept after me and I said listen I can't afford to keep going back to the catfish farm so we had a place up on Lake Conroe and I said you know what on Saturday I'll drive you up there we'll take a little lunch Uh, we'll go out on the end of the pier and we'll fish she could not wait we were there and within 30 minutes she's like dad I hate fishing I'm like what do you mean I mean what do you mean last time you loved it and she said yeah last time I was like catching fish I don't like this kind of fishing I was like what's wrong with this kind of fishing and she said well dad I've been here 30 minutes we haven't We haven't caught a fish. And then she says, it was just so easy last time. This is too hard. I don't like fishing. Well, there's a lot of believers like that. There's a lot of believers that signed on for the easy stuff of the Christian life. That they like the easy stuff. They like the easy stuff when their marriage is going well, when their job is going well, when the economy is going well, when relationships are going well, and everything is going well for them. You know what? They like that. And the first time they hit difficulty, the first time they hit that difficult season of life, the first time they hit persecution, which we're going to talk about today, you know what they say? They say, you know what? I didn't sign up for this. I liked it when it was easy. I'm bailing out of the marriage. I'm bailing out of these relationships. I'm bailing out of my commitments that I made. Because you know what I signed up for? I signed up for the easy stuff. I didn't sign up for the hard. I like the easy stuff. Give me some more of the easy stuff. And Jesus in the Beatitudes were just upfront and honest about the Christian life. Here's what he said in Matthew chapter 5 verse 10 if you have your bibles. He said, "Blessed are those, in other words, joy is found in the man or the woman, blessed are those who are persecuted for what? For righteous sake." So all of a sudden he gives a reason for persecution and we have got to understand that this morning for, for theirs is a kingdom of heaven. Now listen, the beatitude started off, verse 3, with what, right? For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. It's like bookends, and then verse 10, he ends, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Kingdom of heaven is this, where, wherever God's rule is, that's the kingdom of heaven. So what he's basically saying is, is joy is found in the man or the woman when God rules in their life. Listen, you will never find joy in your life through the easy times or the hard times if God does not rule in your life, is he, if, if he is not the authority in your life. And so Jesus is honest, and he's going through this, and he says, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed. And in our culture, it's really weird to see that word blessed, and he rattles off some things things because we're going, well, if that's happening to me, I wouldn't see myself blessed. And here's what he said. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. So there again, he gives the focus of this issue of persecution. And why? Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Now listen, so Jesus says that when you're persecuted, there's blessing. That joy can be found in the midst of persecution. But what Jesus did not say, he did not say that blessed are you when you're persecuted for any reason. There's a lot of believers that just misled. A lot of believers that are deceived, that when they go through difficulty, they go through persecution. They think they're blessed in all persecution. No. He says, what? That you are blessed when you are persecuted for what? For my account? For righteousness' sake? Which means right living? Listen, you are, you are not blessed when you are persecuted for being a jerk. Right? I mean, you're not blessed when you're persecuted for being a jerk, when you're persecuted for being obnoxious, when you're persecuted for, for, uh, for, for being critical, or when you're persecuted for slandering someone. Or how about, you are not blessed when you are persecuted for judging someone in your home, at the office, because they don't live like you? I mean, there are some Christians that think, you know what? We are blessed when we are persecuted when we join any cause. I mean, there are Christians that believe that, you know what? If we boycott something, we're, and they persecute us, we're blessed. When we use the world's methods... And we boycott, like a group of Christians right now are boy- boycotting what, Starbucks? Come on. It's using the world's methods. We'll just, we'll show them, and we can bring them to the knee, their knees economically. We'll use the world's ways. And you're not blessed when you're persecuted for just any. Listen, we are not anti anything. We are pro-God, pro-Christ, and pro-church. And so Jesus was really clear. And guess what? You When you live right, living, and you will be persecuted. Here's just, here's just a few things. And guess what? There's some things that aren't like in your notes. And sorry about that, but but for you life group leaders so in the end we'll end up in the bonus round is what i call it that last last night when i was preaching through this i just preached out of the overflow and just to bring this all together and i want to do it again this morning and so they've caught up with us back in the back and the scriptures will be up here in some of the points but we just got to get this we got to understand this so here's the first thing about this is there is an action that persecution delivers in other words there's this action that we can have that persecution delivers now God, Jesus made it clear. If you follow me, what? You will be persecuted. If you follow me, you will suffer. I mean, he told people over and over, you better count the cost. Man, before you follow me, he was upfront. He was honest about this whole deal. That if you follow me, That you will be persecuted. Fact is, one of the signs, not a sign of a Christian, but a sign of a disciple, a sign of a real Jesus follower is what? That a Jesus follower is willing to pay the price. Is willing to pay the cost for right living. You know, that's how you know that someone's really a person that loves fishing or a person that's really a fisherman. Brittany really wasn't. I mean, she just loved the catching, not the fishing. But a person that's a true fisherman... They will stand in the Arkansas River when it was snowing and they're chipping ice off of their eyelets so they can still cast the line. It does not matter to them whether they're catching fish or not. Why? Because they're pat- they'll sit on the side of a lake for days without catching a fish. Why? Because they're... Pat- Listen, they don't like fishing just when it's easy. They like fishing when it's easy or hard. does not matter to them. And Jesus says, you know how you know a real disciple of mine? They follow me when it's easy or hard. They just didn't buy into the easy stuff. Does not matter to them. Because they are passionate about following me. They're passionate about walking with me. Listen, let me tell you something. If you are not ready to face opposition because of your faith or persecution because of your faith, you are not ready to be used of God. God will never be able to use you because you will cave every time. Listen, Jesus told a group of people, don't you worry when you're facing persecution and opposition. You better worry when you're not. Jesus got a group of pastors together in the New Testament and said, men, let me tell you this. You be very careful when all men speak well of you because you may be a false prophet. Well, let me tell you. If you are not ready and willing to stand up for your faith and accept any opposition, persecution that comes, God will never be able to use you the way that you desire him to or the way in which he dreams to. Here's what 2 Timothy 3.10 says. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life there's a chance they're going to be persecuted. Maybe. And he said, you desire to live a godly life, you will be persecuted. Simon Peter said this when it comes, why do you act like you're shocked? Why do you act like you're surprised? Jesus told us. Jesus was upfront about this. And there's this action that persecution delivers. And so so Jesus tries to flesh this out and tries to get them to understand this. So so here's what Jesus said. So let's just look at what he said is gonna come. Jesus said, Guess what? You will be insulted. Blessed are you when others revile you or insult you. That means with words. That means to I mean it was it was like the most uh descriptive word of persecution in this way, that it was mean like gnawing someone to death with words. It's like getting pecked to death with a, by a duck. It doesn't really hurt at first, but the constant pecking, <laughs> I mean, it means to insult. It means to hurt. And Jesus says, "You, you stand up for me, you live life for purity and integrity, you live life differently, guess what? Your friends aren't going to understand you that don't know me. And they're going to insult you and they're going to make fun of you because there's something different about you. See, we live in a day and time when people cannot stand up to the testimony of another, whether it's in a a political pap- platform, whether it's in political debates, whether it's in in, in the political world, whether it's in it's in a courtroom scene. That if they cannot stand up to the eyewitness account, if they cannot stand up to the testimony of another, you know what they do? They destroy the one who has given the testimony. Right? I mean, it, it's just a, a philosophy in 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 debates that if you cannot come up against. If you cannot disprove the testimony of another, so you know what you do? You destroy them. You begin talking about what? You talk about their character. You talk about their lifestyle. You talk about some decisions that they've made. And what you try to do is you try to disqualify them because guess what? You cannot stand up against their testimony. I mean, we live in a time and a world where where sports stars or political people or whoever can stand up, and they can talk about any other religion, any other form of worship other than Christianity, and guess what? The world will celebrate that because they're tolerant, right? And they're tolerant until someone stands up and talks about Christ. Someone stands up and has a testimony for Christ, then what happens? And they get angry and they try to discredit that individual, right? Let me ask you something. If this stuff was false, if this stuff wasn't true, then why do they get so upset? Why do they get so angry? And Jesus is saying, listen, you live a godly life, you live life differently, you will be. and you'll be insulted. You'll be talked... To. Here's another one. Jesus went on and says, guess what? Not only will you be insulted you'll be harassed I mean this isn't getting any better verse 11 he says they'll persecute you in the second century when Christians were being martyred for their faith they turned a government into a Christian government they turned the world upside down not because of boycotts not because everybody knowing what they're against or all that stuff Not because of protest. Look at all the things that believers get involved in. Not because of any of that. It's because people witnessed how they were persecuted and how they handled it. You realize the way that you handle persecution, the way that I handle when I'm harassed and insulted, the persecution says a lot about my testimony. they would take them in the, in the second century and it was kind of a sport to martyr and kill Christians. It wasn't because they were saying that Jesus is Lord as much as, as they said he's the only Lord. He's the only one. They didn't mind if they piled Jesus in with Caesar and all their other gods. That, but when they said he was the only one, and they would take them to arenas, and sometimes for, they'd fill the arenas, and they would disembowel Christians. And they would take ears of corn and place them in their intestines in their abdomen while they're still breathing and still alive. And they'd let wild hogs loose in their arena. And people, government officials, and people witnessed how they met death. The confidence that they had. Every one of the disciples. I mean, Jesus says, You better count the cost before you follow me. Because just as they persecuted me, they're going to persecute you. Every one of the disciples died a martyr's death. None of us will probably face that type of persecution. But boy, we'll cower to other people. Because we don't want to be insulted. We don't want to be harassed. We don't want anybody to talk about us. You know, that's what keeps a lot of believers from sharing their faith. They don't want to be persecuted. They don't don't want to be called names at the office or at school or whatever. And so they just stay quiet. Listen, let me ask you something. How much do you have to hate someone not to tell them about Jesus? Man, if you really believe in heaven and hell... And if someone dies without a relationship with Jesus Christ, that they will, feel, they will spend eternity in this place separated from Him. How much do you have to hate them not to tell them about the testimony that you know to be true, or to invite them to an Easter service, or to invite them to your church, or to let them know about this Jesus that you follow? that has given you total and complete forgiveness. And because of that, you have eternal life. Here's another one. Jesus went on and he says, he says and guess what? You will, be, you will be lied about. And guess what? Even Christians will lie about you. And he goes on and he says, and utter all kinds of evil against you. and Falsely on your account? No. Falsely on my account, because blessed are you when you are persecuted, what? For living a godly life, for righteous living. I mean, in John, John chapter 5, verse 18, here's what the Scripture says. This is why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him. Speaking of Jesus, because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling, him, calling God his own Father. See, that's why they were crucifying him. They were crucifying him because Jesus claimed. Listen, don't ever let anyone tell you that Jesus never claimed to be God. Jesus claimed to be God all the way through the Scriptures. And the reason they were going to crucify him, the reason they were going to kill him, is because he saw himself co-equal, equal with God, the Trinity. He was fully God. And he was fully man. It's a mystery to us. He was making himself equal with God. So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son of God can do nothing of his own accord, but only what? What he sees the Father doing for whatever the Father does... The son does likewise. Listen, the reason a lot of believers will not, are not willing to face opposition, insults, lying, harassment, and all of that other stuff is because, you know what? The approval of people means way more to you than the approval of God. The applause of this world, what your friends say about you, what people around you say about you, because you have come to believe that acceptance is found in the approval of people. And we have been life journaling together, and it's been interesting. We read through Numbers and Moses leading the children of Israel. And, and uh, you know, they'd follow him for a while, and then they didn't like him. They tried to fire him, wanted to develop a pastor search committee and get a new one, and, you know, and that whole deal. And, you know, it was just, you know, they, just didn't, they didn't do well. So Moses dies. And so Joshua becomes the new leader. And so the children of Israel says, Joshua, since you're a new pastor, we need to have this meeting. So they have a meeting. They sit down. They say, guess what, Joshua? The same way that we obeyed Moses in all things, we will obey you. You think that made him very comfortable? I mean, he's like, wait a minute. I remember when you guys were going to, like, kill him, and you guys didn't like him, and you guys rebelled, and you guys lied about him, and you insulted him, and you harassed him, and, and you said things like he was no longer following God. He's bringing us out here just to kill us. And then Joshua chapter 3, God visits visits Joshua. And God sits down with Joshua and says, Guess what, Joshua? The same way that I was with Moses, I will be with you. Where did his security come from? Which one do you think made him more comfortable? That people that were with him that are, listen, let me tell you something people will be with you one day and against you the next. People are emotional, people are strange. Me included, we're all strange, right? Listen, everybody's perfect till you get to know them. Have you ever noticed that? You meet someone, and you're like, "Man, this person's wonderful. I, I need to get to know this person. They're, they're like, perfect. You get to know them, and you're like, they're just as messed up as I am." And it's just how we are, right? So where do you think Joshua's acceptance came from? That God was with him. For us, that God is in us. Our security, the security of a pastor, the security of a leader. Listen, if you don't know that, that God is with you, that God is in you, then you will never be willing to face opposition, criticism, harassment. And guess what? God will never be able to use you. You see, the reason that God was able to use Joseph at the way that he was is because Joseph knew that, man, God is with me. And when I stand for godliness and righteousness and right living, no matter what they say about me and lie about me and harass me and insult me, I know this, that God is with me. Now, there's some things that Jesus says that comes a result that we need to remember. The first thing is this, is that we need to remember that great is our reward. When we go through persecution, when we go through difficulty, when we go through the hard things, you know, and we're saying, hey, I like it when it was easy. When we go through that, the first thing we need to remember is, guess what? Great is our reward when we're being persecuted for following Christ, when we're being persecuted for the godly life. And so here's what he says in in verse 12. Rejoice and be glad for your reward is what? Your reward is great in heaven. Where's your reward? In heaven. See, there's so many people, we think it's here. Listen, your reward is not here. Yes, there's some blessings here, and yes, there's some blessings on your life, but your ultimate reward is not here. It's in heaven. This life is temporary. James tells us it's like a mist. It's like a vapor. It just, It's like a breath. It just appears, and it vanishes. But our reward is where we're going to spend eternity. And so he says that you need to remember that great is your reward. And the other thing he says is that you also need to remember that you're in good company. No, you're not in just in good company. You're in great company. Verse 12, For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You Look at how Jeremiah was persecuted and, and, uh, and, and thrown in some dungeon. Zechariah was stoned. Isaiah, the very people that he led, stuffed him in a log and sawed the log in him in two. Jesus said the same way they persecute me, they'll persecute you. And we need to remember that we're in good company. You see, Jesus said this. Jesus says, boy, don't worry. When you face persecution, you face opposition. You know when you should worry? When all men speak well of you when you're trying to get their approval, the world's approval, and you handle your life by the world's approval. Well, there's an assurance that persecution delivers. In this morning, in the bonus round, what we should be asking and we need to answer, how do you get through it? How do you get through it? When there's persecution. How, how, do you, how do you get through it when you're going through that difficult season of life? There's three things. It's found in Second Corinthians chapter 1. And Paul's writing to the Corinthian church and says, you know, just when you suffer and when you're persecuted and when you go through difficult times, that God will comfort, that we share in his sufferings and we share in his joy. And, and that just as God comforted you, you're to comfort others. And then down a little bit in verse 9, he begins to give the, a recipe, if you will, about how you and I walk through persecution and difficult times. And so if you're going through a difficult time, whether it's a difficult season of your life, whether it's persecution for right living, whatever, the first thing that you've got to do, and just listen to me, the first thing you've got to do, you've got to reflect. And you've got to reflect on what God is doing in you and not what is happening to you. Now listen, let me tell you something. Get personal. Here's what happens to a lot of us. When we go through persecution, when we go through difficult times, you know what we focus on? If you're like me, if you're like many others, you focus on what is happening to you. You focus about the lies that are going around about you, how people are insulting you, how people are criticizing you, how people are judging you how people are ostracizing you, all these other things. Let me tell you something. If you're going to get through it, the first thing you've got to do is focus on, you've got to reflect on what is God doing in you, not what is happening to you. Now, listen, let me tell you something. In those difficult seasons of my life, whether it's been persecution or difficult seasons of ministry, God has done some amazing things in me. Philippians says that God is working in you. There are some things that God is working in you as you work them out in your life. And you've got to move your focus. And you've got to reflect on and you've got to remember, God, this is what you're doing in my life. God is building perseverance and God is developing character. Well, here's what Corinthians says, verse 9. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence to death. That's how you know you're going through a difficult time of life, right? Like, man, this just feels like death. Just just kill me now. Get it over with. Okay, so they're focusing what? They're focused on what's happening to them, right? We feel like we got the sentence of death. This is not fun. And so he goes on and he says, but now we know because when we focus on this side... That was to what? That was to make us not to rely what? Not to rely on ourselves, but to rely on who? To rely on God. There is something about us that we think, you know what? I can do it. I can do everything in my life. I really don't need him. And a lot of times when persecution and difficulty comes, it comes to remind us, guess what? We cannot rely on ourselves. We can only rely on him. That's why you cannot focus on what is happening to you. You've got to focus on what God is doing in your life. And they go on and they say this. Not on ourselves, but on God. What? Who? God who what? Who raises the dead. The God who is powerful. If he can raise the dead, don't you think he is powerful to take care of that situation that you're going through right now? If you will learn to rely on him. If you will learn to put your trust in him. If you will learn that this issue of persecution and difficulty comes, do not let it catch you off guard. But he is working something in you. And so you reflect on what God is doing in you and not what is happening to you. And then you've got to move to renew your relationship with God. Whether you make a new commitment. Because there's something about difficulty that sometimes we just say, we don't like this. And you've got to refocus or renew your commitment to him. This is what they said in verse 10. And so God delivered us from such a deadly peril. And what? And he will deliver us. What a statement they renewed. I mean, they said at one time, they're going, this is a sentence of death. And now, all of a sudden, they start renewing their commitment to him. Oh, we get this. We understand this. God who raised the dead will take care of this problem that we're under. On him, we've set our hope. Not on our friends. Not on acceptance and approval of others. Not on our abilities. Not on our talent. But we set our hope on the one who raises the dead so that he will deliver us. Listen, let me tell you something. That's why worship is so important to us here at Fellowship of the Rockies. It is a huge value of our church. It is a huge value in my life. Here, here's how you know when you enter a worship service that you have come into the presence of God that you have deepened in worship you know how you know that is because a lot of times you can come into a worship service when you're focused on what is happening to you not in you you can walk, walk into a worship service oh, and your problems are big and your problems are up here and God is small it ever happened to you happened to me and you come into a worship service and your problems are big and God is small And then you worship him, and you adore him, and you come into the presence of him. And there's an inversion that should take place. And you know what that inversion is? You realize, oh, God, you're the one that raised the dead. God, you are not only with me, but you are in me. You are bigger than anything that I go through. And all of a sudden, this begins to happen. And your problems become smaller. And God becomes bigger. And when you come into the presence of God and you worship Him, you walk out of here understanding that God is bigger than any problem that you'll ever face. And that you do not rely on yourself. But you rely and you set your hope on the one who raised the dead, who is with you, who is in you. Regardless of what you walk through. And then you're willing to receive prayers from many. Look look at what he says in verse 11. You also must help us. How? Help us by prayer. See, we live in a society, we don't think prayer helps very much. We don't think it helps if people pray for us. That's not what the Bible says. That's not what Corinthians says. You also must help us by prayer. Why? Why? So that many will give thanks on our behalf for the what? For the blessings, blessings granted to us, what? By the prayers of one, a few, no, by the prayers of many. That's why it's so important to us at Fellowship of the Rockies that, we, that worship is not only a huge value of ours, but that we pray for one another and we encourage one another. Listen, let me tell you something. Every one of us needs prayer. I need prayer. I probably need prayer more than anybody in this room. Everyone, and we don't need to be embarrassed by that, and we don't need to be ashamed of that. Fact is, we should be proud of that because we understand we don't rely on ourselves. We rely on Him, and we set our hope on Him.